This is Sam Oser with Left of Liberal. I report every Saturday uh, at 1 p.m. I report at the intersections of class, race, and gender. My journalism is my activism. So today we're going to be talking about a few things. Uh, the first thing we're going to be talking about is how Mayor Turner has taken COVID money and given it to overtime uh, for cops. We're going to be talking about that more next Saturday with Nation with No Flag. But if you are able to, there is a rally being held today hosted by the People's Liberation Front at Sylvester Turner Park. It's happening right now. So if you're pissed off that Mayor Turner has given COVID money to the cops for overtime, I suggest you go please wear a mask and take uh, protest precautions and go to Sylvester Turner Park and join the People's Liberation Front to rally. And again, next weekend, we will talk more about that with Nation With No Flag. Today we have Stop uh, Texas DOT I-45 with us today. We have Susan and Neil. So they're trying to expand the I-45 freeway. Uh, Ideally, people think that will decrease traffic, but that's actually a myth. It's not true. It's going to cause a lot more harm than good. So we're going to be talking about what harm is coming. We're going to be talking about the history of freeways and redlining, systemic racism, flooding. We're going to be talking about how Houston is contradicting itself. They have all these walkability initiatives and uh, other things. And, you know, they're trying to expand the freeway and displace so many people. And um, we're going to be talking about the challenges that stop DOT I-45 is facing. So, Neil, Susan, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I really appreciate y'all coming in to talk about this. Um, Could you introduce yourselves and talk about uh, Stop TX.I-45? How were you founded? What are y'all doing? That sort of thing. Well... um, well, I'm Susan Graham, and I live in the near north side, and I'm a retired registered nurse, and I've been politically active most of my adult life, uh, but I hadn't 
but this is a new venture for me, stopping, trying to stop freeways. Uh, and so I live in the near north side. There will be displacement in the near north side. There will also be disconnection in the near north side. And when I was on Super Neighborhood 51 Executive Council, uh, we got involved in trying to respond to the draft EIS, uh, wrote letters to Textile about the problems that we would find in our neighborhood specifically, not in the whole projects per se. And we just never felt heard by anybody. We felt like we just wrote comments and they went in some comment bag and that's where they stayed. So I was having a f Facebook conversation with a friend and she said, um, she was at Mike Houston at the time, and she said, it'd be really cool to blanket the north side with stop text stop text dot signs, uh, yard signs. And I thought, well, that might be kind of fun to do. <laughs> so I started a GoFundMe account, and I found a friend in my neighborhood who did, you know, was a good designer, and she designed the yard signs, and we raised enough money to order like 250, 300 yard signs. And we headed out to the first community meeting that was hosted by the city of Houston and TechStot. This was back in the spring of 2019. And we sat in the back of my little Kia Soul and with yard signs and a donation container and a list to sign people up and she made a website and I made a Facebook page and and uh, we were looking mainly to stop more stuff that was more neighborhood focused. Right. And we had a our first real meeting. We had uh, an Avenue CDC facility with their support and we had like 63 people show up that we'd never seen. And so people were really looking for a way to be able to push back against this freeway. And that's how we launched. Wow. And, uh, and here we are today. That's awesome. So thank you, Susan. Yeah. Um, Neil, could you uh, tell us more about uh, your role in the organization? Sure. So my name is Neil Ehart, and um, I, I'm, I guess, a little bit more on the uh, technical side maybe of mm -hmm. stoptext.i45 um i i do the website for them i manage the calendar that sort of thing and uh, of course uh you know help to organize um our events and uh, i have been doing a lot of public commenting lately i have been showing up to uh, the city council um our our regional planner hgac uh, and most recently to the Texas Transportation Commission, who are based out of Austin, and they, they are the bosses of TxDOT. Um, so that's that's been my role lately. Yeah. And if I may, I'd, I'd like to read Stop TxDOT's mission statement. Yes, please do. Okay? okay, great. So our mission is to elevate walkability, challenge the status quo of transportation policy, build capacity within Houston neighborhoods to stop the I-45 expansion, and advocate for strategic, inclusive, and equitable transportation in Texas. Nice. Wow. It's crazy how, um, you know, you went from like, yeah, let's, let's paint the town with a whole bunch of signs to like having a mission statement in like a, a year, basically a year and a half, maybe. 
Right. We had our first mission statement was to push back against the current design and to to get TxDOT to stay within the right of way. And then last January, January of 2020, we had um, another leadership team meeting over at uh, Toot Suite and uh, took the day. And there's some really talented people that show up to do this work. Yeah. And we did all this power mapping and all this stuff. And we came up with a new mission statement that was broader. Because when we, my friend and I started this group, we were looking strictly at the freeway and stopping and keeping it within the current right-of-way so we wouldn't have the displacement and some of the flooding that was going to come. But as we grew and as we realized that we were connected to all these other issues that are going on, not just in Houston, but in in all of the, the states and also actually the world, mm-hmm. um, of climate change and making streets safe for pedestrians and um, all the other things that come with us, urbanism, sprawl, all, yeah. all of that. Um, we, fe- we decided that we needed to expand our mission statement, and also uh, we were looking at uh, actually doing work at the state legislature in 21 to change some of the ways that textile and freeways and transportation is funded. Does anything, yeah. So we're, we got bigger. Yeah. Our so, vision got bigger. Yeah. We didn't really get bigger. Yeah, the vision got <laughs> That's, yeah, I, I get that. Um, volunteer and community work is a struggle sometimes. Um, so uh, how is the freeway expansion poised to cause harm? There's a lot of different areas. Uh, so what are some of the ways? Well, I'll talk about the things that I'm most passionate about, and then I'm going to let Neil talk about some of the other things that are really very important. Okay. Um, yeah, I got in this work because of the fact that it was going to displace people, and it wasn't going to displace people in River Oaks, and it wasn't going to displace people in uh, Memorial, and it wasn't going to displace people in the Woodlands. It was going to displace people in neighborhoods who generally don't have a voice. Right. And they don't have the resources and the tools to be able to fight back against a lot of these uh, issues. They, they're not that they can't do it, it, they just don't have the access and a lot, a lot of times, and a lot of times they, they don't speak the language. Right. And so that's really an issue, especially in my neighborhood. It's going to be more Latino displaced than it's going to be other ethnicities or races. So, um, you know, in, in the city of Houston, every what I've learned from the 45 is that We've had systemic racism involved in all freeway expansions throughout the whole United States from the beginning of time. The, uh, forget Moses, Robert Moses, Robert Moses in yeah, New, New York, York City. Mm-hmm. And once they started to get cars, they decided they needed to have freeways, and they didn't need to have slums or what they referred to as slums or ghettos or ethnic neighborhoods, basically. Right. So they they decided to move all those people into those sterile, big hall apartment blocks that you'll see in New York City, mm-hmm. and um, and put freeways through neighborhoods. And they destroyed the economy of these neighborhoods. They destroyed the the culture of the neighborhood, the cohesion of the neighborhood, 
and people were just lost. And they burned, basically burned Brooklyn to, so that they would have the opportunity to come in there and also take out that with, for another expansion. So this goes way back and way deep in our culture. But in Houston, all of the freeways that have gone in have destroyed neighborhoods. Right. They've destroyed economies. They've destroyed little downtowns in, all, in a lot of the neighborhoods in Houston. Um, some of the neighborhoods have been are historic places that have been here for you know hundred years, and 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 it's not that people don't fight back. It's just that textile's big, and yeah. when we got into this, uh, when we started this work, people would say, "You can't do anything against textile. What is wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You must be crazy, ladies." <laughs> And we're like, well, so I'm just crazy enough. <laughs> so we were like, well, you, you're not going to be able to do anything if you don't try. Damn right. So, um, so you know, when 59 went through, 288 now is a mess. 290 took out uh, houses. Independence Heights has just been whittled down by freeway expansions. And it's one of the first um, black cities that they actually, I don't know how you say that. They created their own town. Yeah, it was like a freedman's town uh, right. type thing. Where, type thing. Yeah. Because they weren't allowed to own property, so they decided to have their own town so that they could buy property and they could have property. Mm-hmm. Right. And, that's a, and they were the first African-American town in Texas. Right. And uh, they have just been, they were whittled down when 45 first went in. They they were taken, more real estate was taken out when they put in 610. Now more real estate's going to be taken out from 45, and they're going to do some interchange work. It's actually going to take out places from the 610 freeway. Uh, Fifth Ward is going to be losing lots of real estate. So is First Ward, then Third Ward. Yeah. And these are neighborhoods that people, those, the roots go very deep. So it's not like, oh, well, yeah, you know, they can just move down bowl. Yeah, no, they're all historically black and brown neighborhoods. And right. they're poor neighborhoods mm-hmm. fighting gentrification. Uh, you know, right. Fifth Ward is trying to fight, you know, this freeway. And they're also trying to fight the uh, East River project that they have going right. on. So it's from both sides. Um, Neil, I guess, could you talk on the, um, like the urban crawling and the more like technical stuff? Certainly. I can talk about urban sprawl a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sure. Um, so there, there's this new kind of development, uh, that was enabled around the, the 1940s, I would say maybe the late thirties when, uh, cars started to, to become very popular and they were sold, um, uh, you know, broadly, um, they were, there were a lot being manufactured and a lot being sold and, uh, people started to say, okay, well, I, I I can, I can have a neighborhood now that is on, uh, at the outskirts of the city. And for Houston, what this meant was neighborhoods, you know, around the Houston Heights, like towards the edge of the Houston Heights was where we first saw urban sprawl happen. Yeah. And, um, and so then to, to facilitate 
that uh, you, you know, and the difference the difference between sprawl development and and what preceded it is um, large blocks, so more difficult to walk, um, and just sort of a separation of uses uh, because these places they're they're you know highly residential. And then there's a commercial section that right. is separated from it. You don't see uh, the the house, you know, above the shop uh, happening like you do in older cities. And um, so th- this makes it so you you depend on your car and you've got to drive. Um, and uh, so we we have continued to to push this, and and of course now most of Houston fits that description of sprawl we we are a very sprawling city and it's it's been facilitated and and perhaps cemented i would say by the construction of of these freeways Um, because when a freeway comes through it sort of acts like a wall it's it's not you you might be walking you know half a mile or a mile to uh to find a crossing of the freeway and so if there's something interesting happening on one side and something interesting happening on the other, you know, uh, you, you're not, you're not going to get there without a car. You're not going to want to. Right. Definitely. It's dangerous. It's, it's dangerous. It's, uh, it's loud. It's smelly. You know, it's, it's just not a good pedestrian experience. And so, uh, the, the message that comes when, when we build these, uh, freeways, the, the, the way that we do, um, there, there, there's one exception that's a walkable freeway that I'll talk about. Um, but, uh, most of these, um, you know, they, they destroy walkability and, and they, they take us to a place of car dependence. Uh, and you know, the, it's, it's tough to get out of it. Um, yeah. we, we have our cars now, we want to get places faster and, uh, the population's growing, traffic's getting worse. What do we do? Add more freeways. Uh, <laughs> add more freeways, right. We'll just make the freeways <laughs> wider so that we can fit more cars on them. Right. Um, which of course, uh, doesn't, doesn't seem to work it's it's been tried a lot and uh you you can keep doing it but you're just kind of paving over the the things that people came to your city for in the first place the reason why there was a prosperity that that brought congestion um was all all the all the walkable shops in in many cases and Mm -hmm. so um detroit you know they uh they they went through some some tough times of course with the uh with the rest of the Rust Belt and losing the manufacturing capacity. But wow, that city got hit very hard uh, because they built, I would say, because they built so many freeways and they didn't build anything in the way of public transit. Right. And, uh, you know, and they were crushed and they were bankrupted. You think um, Houston's headed that way? Um, this project is a step in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I think, I think we're poised to, uh, to avoid this project to stop this project. Um, I, I, w- I would like to see a, um, a freeway removal plan personally, uh, which, which means different things to different people and, and d- different things in different, um, contexts as well. The, the freeways go through a lot of different neighborhoods and some of them would do very well to have a, a highway, uh, of, you know, maybe more like old Spanish trail, uh, where it is, a surface grade highway with crossings. Of course, there's a, there's a lot of improvements that could be done to old Spanish trail. Uh, but in, in concept, it's not nearly as broken, I would say as, um, I 45 has been. Um, 
And of course, you know, in many cases, it it could be a return to a walkable street grid um, where there's there's just a a step away from cars, like at the at the center of the city. um, That's that's where it makes the most sense to sort of stitch it back together and remove a lot of cars because we just we have a lot of people there and there's only there's only finite space for for cars uh, as as we see in uh, a lot of cities around the world that are are moving away from from their auto-centric infrastructure mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah there's a lot that's a lot <laughs> that's that's um great um but so we talked about like the history of freeways, the redlining, the urban sprawling. Oh, like... I can talk about redlining a bit, actually. I don't think we did talk about that. Oh, Is that we, all right? we talked about the history, but not current redlining. That's right. true. Yeah. So, so red, I guess it's been more or less repealed. But the, the reason that we have these freeways in these really awkward locations that we do right now is because the land um, was marked by the Federal Housing Administration as um, definitely declining. That, that was the designation for a lot of it or or um, I think somewhat declining there there are a couple of categories that um, made it difficult for for people in these communities to get loans to build businesses of any kind uh, it, you know at the federal level they were saying these communities are not worth investing in um, and they mark them that way and and it's no surprise these are black and brown communities that they decided could be disposable. That's exactly yes. correct. Thank yep, you for exactly. that, for clarifying yes. that. Yes, these were black and brown communities. That's that's how they how they drew the map. It, it was it was a, a racial mapping of of our cities, um, and uh, you know, and and they the highway people uh, they weren't called TxDOT back then, but they they were able to buy up land very cheaply because it was uh, you know these people just didn't have a voice. This was before the Voting Rights Act. Uh, so they they were having trouble getting to the polls and voting, right? Um, and and so we you know we we still see some of those um, racial disparities, uh, significant racial disparities in our leadership in the people who are making these decisions. Um, you know, it is overwhelmingly white male people who are um, you know at TxDOT. Uh, I would say specifically on the on the Texas Transportation Commission, you know, it's three uh, three out of four are men, and they're all white. Um, yeah, of course. And the Houston Galveston Area Council. Uh, they probably have money too. And, and probably have money. Yeah, uh, mm. most mostly white people. We are we are seeing some change, and we're seeing some push for change to to the demographics of of who's leading us, and uh, you know who gets to be in in these seats of power, and. Um, I guess I'll, I'll give a shout out to Dr. Carol Lewis, a, um, a, a woman of color who recently led a, uh, a committee to, to write a memorandum of understanding um, between the city of Houston, Harris County, HGAC, and TxDOT about this freeway. And she brought everyone together and she got them to talk about some very difficult things. Um, you know, people on that call did not want to talk about public transit. Uh, and, and we're very opposed to it. And, you know, we got the chair of Metro um, asking them why and wh- what do they really think about it. So um, thank you, Carol Lewis, for what you've been doing. Thank you, Carol Lewis. Yeah, um, that's, yeah, that's, uh, it's so ridiculous that, like, why are, why is it pulling teeth to talk about public transit? 
Like, why is that so difficult for people? I mean, I understand there's money in like the freeways and the engineering and whatnot, but it's, it's ridiculous that, um, you know, so many older people in third ward and these other wards, you know, they can't get around now because public transit is gone and it's displacing them and it's displacing a whole bunch of people. And then, you know, how are you going to get to the grocery store if you're walking? And there's just a lot of those issues. Well, and we were really involved in the 2019 city council races and we were mm -hmm. at all of the candidate forums. And I think this really sums it up. One of the candidates said, you know, I have a car, so I don't ride public transit, but people need it. So, in other words, if you're affluent enough to own a car and be able to drive around Houston, then, um, so it's seen as a serv service only for impoverished people, not a service for everybody that could be very beneficial to people being able to get around this city um, and I, I was so struck by that, and I don't think that gentleman had any idea that what he said yeah. was so powerful to so me. so classist. Just so classist. And he said, well, you know, I, I have a car, so I don't... I don't think about these things. I, but, you know, other people, you know, the, the poor people need it. Mm -hmm. And um, I couldn't give you his name, I probably don't remember. But I, that struck me, and I've always remembered that. And that's the reason why it's hard for them to talk about it, because they don't think it's a, something that they actually will ride, support, or need. Right. And I think that's one of the issues, and that feeds into the equity issue as well. Definitely. Well, right. the the entanglement of racism and classism, they're just they're, they're one of the same under capitalism, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And yes. like it's it's hard to remove racism and classism, and we see like that statement right there. Uh, he's just totally unaware that having a car is classist, and like the poor people that would need it are black and brown, and they're not like poor by choice; they're poor by like this oppressive system that mm -hmm. we live under. If you guys follow my reporting, I say this. All the fucking time. Uh, <laughs> capitalism is rooted in white supremacy, and we see it time and time again in these conversations, and it it sucks. Mm -hmm. um, but speaking of you know these systemic issues and affecting black and brown people, you know we're all here white talking about systemic issues and how this is affecting black and brown people. Yep. Um, how are you talked about Carol Lewis? She's involved with the organizations, but with your organization. But how does black and brown people have a seat at your org's table? That's a very difficult question to answer because it's a problem that we struggled with. Okay. And uh, we've reached out. Um, to the black and brown community, but we haven't had a lot of success. Now, recently we have had a fair amount of success because we've teamed up with our African family and the Circle Coalition, and we blocked and door knocked together talking about the East River Project as well as I-45. Yeah. Um, we brought a lot of people to the table by going out and actually knocking on people's doors, and we've been doing that for the last couple of months. Okay, so right now it's just like bringing it to their attention and making right. them aware of what's going on so they can get right. involved. And so, um, and, you know, we're all, I don't know about everyone in this room, but, you know, I think we learn every day that sometimes the way we reach out is, is uh, 
not always somewhat it can be offensive and we're not aware of it yeah no so definitely. i think yeah. um you know we work closely with tanya debose and uh, mm-hmm. independence heights joetta stevens over in um third ward third ward and now oh, we're having ward, yeah making some connections in fifth ward uh, so it's been a, a hard thing for us. We have fair amount. We have uh, we haven't had so much difficulty with the Latino population. Have fair amount of Latinos, yeah. but that's because I think because I'm in the near north side, and a lot of those people come from the near north side because yeah. they've known me from other efforts. Yeah. So it's been a it's been a, a, a problem for us that we're very well aware of, mm-hmm. and. Um, Really, really grateful for Molly Cook. She's not here today, but she does all of our organize, a lot, most of our organizing and outreach, and she's just amazing. Yeah. And she found Kendra London at our African family. Kendra London's amazing. She is amazing. Yeah. Kendra London, for those of you guys that don't know, is with our African Family Circle Coalition. Uh, Imagine a World interviewed Kendra London last weekend, mm-hmm. last Sunday. Um, and it was a very uh, powerful interview because yes. she was talking about Fifth Ward and talking about stop uh, textile I forty five, but like that that is a, a thing, right? And like you, you have to like to empathize with the black community because you know they see these white people trying to help and you know they're afraid because it's like, well, are you really trying to help? Yeah. Like I don't fucking believe you. Well, and like, how right. could you blame them? Right? I can't like, blame them at all. Can't blame them at all. <laughs> no. Um, so it's it's awesome that you guys are acknowledging that and that um, you are working with our African coalition to, uh, I mean, our African family and the Circle Coalition to um, make roadways <laughs> in ways uh, mm-hmm. with that uh, pun not intended. Yeah, we had a black uh, resident show up at our meeting two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, why are you doing this? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, see, and like... And we were like, well... And he's like, are you going to lose anything? And we're like, tangibly, no. Like, yeah. we're not going to lose a house. But we're going to lose a city. But... And and it was a, such an amazing conversation to have. Yeah. And we were so grateful that he'd showed up. Yeah. And that we could have that conversation. Because we don't have it. Right. And I don't, I would be suspicious of me too. (laughs) Right? Like, and I mean, part of, you know, this oppressive system under capitalism and white supremacy, blah, 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 is, um, you know, the amount of work, you know, you don't have enough hours in the day to put a roof over your head, feed yourself, feed your kids, and do political advocacy. Mm -hmm. And it's specifically built that black and brown people have less hours in the day. Oh, yeah. Um, So that's like a whole other Mm-hmm. Um, barrier, which, right. yeah. So we've been very grateful for Kendra and for all the people that are involved in her organization. And we do have strong ties with Letitia Plummer and some of our uh, black and brown elected officials. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it's just something we have to learn. It's a learning process for us, for them, everything, so that we can become less suspicious of each other so <laughs> yeah. yeah it is but we're giving the yeah, end oh no, i'll just say uh, when we susan and i went door knocking um 
and talked to some of the residents along Nance Street who are going to be uh, displaced by this project, and many of them black and brown. And, um, you know, we, uh, we, we got some positive responses from some and, uh, and you know, some other people, I, I think, have, they've, all, they've all seen freeway projects take out something important to them in the past. And they're, they're just skeptical that there's anything that can be done. Uh, and it's, it's tough to ask them to, to trust us, I would say. I mean, that, you know, we, we ask, but it's, uh, it's always a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's hard. Um, okay. So there's also the, um, issue of climate and flooding that comes with the, uh, the freeway expansions, you know, the, the pollution would increase dramatically in black and brown neighborhoods um, because of the car pollution and the walkability from schools and whatnot. But could we uh, talk more about that and how it would exacerbate flooding? What have you guys seen? What are you guys learning from the climate perspective of freeway expansion? I'll let Neil talk about flooding. Um, Airlines, Houston has done some really great work mm-hmm. looking at pollution and what TxDOT's done in its final EIS, it's 8,000 pages, uh, is just looked at global estimates of increased um, pollution and air pollution yeah. coming from the cars, but they d- didn't do any uh, assessments in the neighborhoods along the freeways. So they say it's not grammatically going to increase any of the particles, you know, the CO2, all that stuff, when you look at the whole Harris County. Right. But when you look at the neighborhoods along the freeway, and we have, I think it's 12 schools, it will be in 500 feet of this freeway, you know, it's dramatically going to increase their exposure. And we already have elevated asthma rates in these neighborhoods already with kids, and their solutions are to put double-pane windows in the schools and better ventilation systems. But all of these people, all of the kids in these neighborhoods walk to school. So what are we going to do? Put a little mask on them? I don't know what all we're right, going to do. Right, just put so, them in bubbles. But, but they, don't, they, don't, they didn't do any of those assessments. So Airlines Houston has really great data out on this information, so I'm not even going to try to repeat what it is that they do but it dramatically will increase the um, pollution in the neighborhoods along the I-45 corridor. Now, it might not increase significantly the pollution over the whole city, but um, any any increase in that is going to cause, we're going to, you know, we need to be reducing. We don't need to be increasing anywhere. Right. And this is going to increase vehicle miles traveled, which is one of the main indicators of, we have to reduce vehicle miles traveled, and this freeway will increase it. Yeah. Uh, even by TxDOT's calculations. Yeah. Um, flooding. Sure. Um, so the most basic issue with this project is that it's being built to the 100-year flood standard, um, but there's we we know we know that those flood maps. Are, are still not right um, 
even after Harvey, the the hundred we sh- we shouldn't trust the hundred year floodplain, right? Because we've had three hundred year floods and five hundred uh, year floods. I think. Right? Maybe they were uh, five hundred years. So yeah, whatever, whatever <laughs> yeah. they are, um, the city of Houston, when when you when you build uh, you know a house or something, you have to build it to the five hundred year flood standard. Now that's that's what they have said. So we we want the same thing for the freeway um, at a minimum, uh, and there's also there there's a number of flooding issues uh in neighborhoods i'll I'll talk specifically about independence heights um it sits at uh you know just sort of at at the corner of um, the 610 loop and i-45 it's it's to the northwest of there and they had their drainage paths uh cut off by these freeways and that so now independence heights floods in ways that it never did before the freeways were built originally and um it it doesn't seem like TxDOT is ready to accept responsibility for that and mitigate all of that uh flooding that has been happening for decades there uh, as part of this project um and then of course on the broader scale uh there's there are there are issues with um Right, Free, freeways cause people to depend on cars. When you depend on cars, you build sprawl, and your city gets wider and wider and wider. And you are replacing wilderness and prairie land with homes. And that that wilderness and prairie land upstream, uh, think of the Katy Prairie, for example, is uh, you know it, it it serves a great function for us here in in Houston. It absorbs a lot of rainwater yeah. in in hurricane events and it it makes our flooding not as bad uh but of course when we pave pave it over turn it into manicured lawns that sort of thing uh it it loses that that ability to absorb rainwater and it it becomes something else that needs to be mitigated so there's a there's a whole land use element to uh, projects like this one uh it, i've there <laughs> there are some stories about how uh there you know land speculators uh got have 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 been backing projects like this um yeah so yeah no yeah. like definitely you're talking about that and i think i saw on twitter this week that they were um starting development in like that katy prairie area Maybe well, so. they, well, they actually built the Grand Parkway so that they could have development out there. Yeah, uh, it was all, it, you know, it. It's kind of a chicken and egg thing, but basically, the Grand Parkway was built so that developers could develop it. Right. So people could get there, and we probably wouldn't have as much of the development that's out there without the Grand Parkway because people wouldn't be able to easily access it, and so it's. The more we build them out, the more development we get out. And then Neil says that we can't even afford to mitigate all the flooding that it causes because we're so big. Right. Right. Yep, that's it. Um, yeah, so Harris County Flood Control District. I mean, they, they had a meeting recently with uh, communities members who are, um, you know, from poor communities that are upset about their flooding issues and Harris County says, well, 
you know, we'll, we'll get to it. We have, we have everybody on, on a calendar and, and you'll get, <laughs> that's a damn lie. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I, I, I think there's some truth to it. I, I think that there are other neighborhoods that skip ahead in the queue because they're richer yes. maybe. and they're mm-hmm. ri- Yes. Because they're richer. I think that's absolutely happening. And, um, but you know, I, I, I really believe them when they say there's not enough money to fix flooding for everybody. Uh, I, I just, it's, it's a, it's a huge problem. And the, the way to get it to where we can afford to fix flooding for everybody is to not sprawl so much, to, to encourage denser living and let people who want to be car free, not own a car. Right. Yeah. Um, so just kind of, uh, a small, gentle rant about the flood maps and Harris County flood control. So residents against flooding, they found a falsified flood map in a hundred year plain over in spring branch. Uh, I reported on it about a month ago. Um, but they found it's a, it's a fake ass flood map. These developers, um, it's a, it was a golf course in Spring Branch, in Spring Branch, and they faked the map so that they could sell it to developers and build 900 homes on there. So this, uh, they they trucked in dirt uh, in this 100-year floodplain, which is illegal to do, but they did it because they had a fake flood map. Wow! And um, wow. so this property is four feet higher than everything else around it. Um, and wow. the residents against flooding, this activist group in Memorial City, they found this. They were formed because they are fighting the tax increment reinvestment zone. That's like a whole thing. I have an article that I'll share. It's on Facebook.com slash Sam the Mullet. I'll put all the links for Air Alliance Houston and uh, StopTX. Their website and, um, in this. Um, but so, so like, it's it's. It's flooding people, and they they took this to the Harris County Flood Control, and they said, hey, guys, there's this fake map. Um, It's going to drown out the neighborhood. They didn't actually put in drainage like they said. And Harris County Flood Control ignored them. Ignored them. They're like, yeah, we'll put you on a calendar. Oh, no. But that was like a year ago. Mm -hmm. And so um, this year, Residents Against Flooding took it to the U.S. Homeland Department of Treasury or something. They they took it to the manager, if you would, of Harris County Flood Control. And they told them that it would probably be a year before they got to the complaint because of COVID. Meanwhile, the development is not stopping. That like, you know, it's like, oh, here's this complaint. Here's a potentially falsified flood map. We're going to stop development here. Um, while we investigate this, they didn't do that. So, you know, all of these other places that you're talking about, like, um, these, uh, these a hundred year floodplains where they're supposed to be building and like the freeways and the, mm-hmm. the sprawling, like it all just fuses into this disgusting, there's, there's profits in the flood waters mm-hmm. and that's, yes, there are. Yes, very mm-hmm. much so. And like, that's what they, they're building a flooding machine. So developers could build and build and build. Like I feel for New Orleans right now, they just got hit by Zeta. You know, mm-hmm. they are already gentrified as fuck. And like now they're drowning with no power. Like they haven't, I have, I have a friend in New Orleans. They haven't had power in like five days now. Yeah, and that. you know, that's going to get gentrified. Those developers are going to come in and they're going to profit off the floodwaters. So anyway, right. there's mm-hmm. my, they also profit off the freeways. Yes. Right. Yeah. Those so. engineers. Especially in East end, 
some of the midtown areas that they're taking out, those wonderful neighborhoods with all those, mm -hmm. with all the personality that it has, and it'll end up being. Yeah. And those same whatever. engineers right. that are building these freeways that have contracts with the city are in the pockets of every city council person, of every mm. elected person in Houston. I did a, a Houston corporate tentacle map um, a little while ago, and all of the engineers, like, I, I think, I forget the name of the developer doing the I-45, of the engineer group doing the I-45 group. Is it HNTB or something? Hmm. Uh, I think so. Um, I don't remember. Like, Allen and Boone is a big one, but I don't think they have the I-45 project. But whoever has the I-45 project, their name is escaping me, they gave Mayor Turner $50,000 in campaign finance reports in mm. the 2016 election. Um, so, You know, it's very difficult because TxDOT funds are going to go into building, rebuilding Shepherd and putting in bike lanes and wide sidewalks and you know shepherd will be a much more accessible place yes so text you almost have to i think they feel like they have to let text do bad things so they can do some good things uh it's really it's really it's a very very difficult situation yeah uh, because they have so much money Right. And um, and they're so powerful. They're a very, very powerful organization in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. And we were at the, we went to a webinar on the Texas Clear Lanes Project, and they were just listing project after project after project after project. And it was $180 million here and $2 billion there and another. So specifically, Texas Clear Lanes right. is, is a uh, a, I guess a statewide program to take the most congested freeways in and um, well f widen them because mm -hmm. yeah. that's uh, <laughs> that's the only way that they're prepared to deal with congestion. Uh, uh, they you know they they won't design it for a lower speed, uh, add more entrances and exits, make you know give options besides driving. Uh, they they just want to widen it because that's uh, I, I guess I don't know it's it's believable enough that that's like a wise thing to do. Um, you know people, you know people say well we got to widen the freeway. It's so congested I can't get to work and I have to sit in traffic and I'm like. Well, but the problem with that is, is you're still going to sit in traffic. And we're going to spend $8 billion, or probably a whole lot more than that, actually, before they get done. And we're going to do all this harm to neighborhoods, and you're still going to sit in traffic. So yeah. the whole problem with this project is that it's not going to fix the problems that TxDOT sets out that it's going to fix. It's not going to make things safer. It might make things safer for cars that's negotiable and debatable but it's but it's not going to fix congestion and but you tell that you, you know you say that over and over and over again and it still ends up in all of their reports it ended up in the memorandum of understanding it just ends up everywhere and they just can't let go of the idea that you've got to have more lanes 
you've got to have more capacity, more vehicle capacity, not people capacity, vehicle capacity. And the, that that is like 1920s right. thinking. Well, it's like individualism versus collectivism, right? Like cars is individual people, buses, collective, transit, collective. And that's just mm-hmm. not the mindset our society has. All right. Certainly. Yeah. That's um, true. That's very true. So you guys are doing all this work in the community and trying to fight back this giant machine that feels unfeasible. Um, what challenges have you guys uh, come across? Um, I, you were talking about like that 8,000-page um, document that you guys had to review. Could you speak on that and other challenges you guys have been facing? Well, that. The final environment, you know, there's a process for getting freeways built. Mm-hmm. And um, back in 2017, they re-released, because uh, there's federal regulations around this, because all of this money's coming from the feds. It's not coming from the state. Okay. So. Um, the, the majority of the money comes from the federal dollars. Yeah. yeah. From the federal mm-hmm. government. So. So um, in- income tax. Our, our income tax is being yeah. used to build this freeway. Good. Oh, isn't that nice? Great. So, yeah. I love that song. I'm so, uh, <laughs> so back in 2017, they released a draft environmental impact statement, and people commented on the environmental impact statement. Um, we have to give a shout-out to Make I-45 Better Coalition as well. Um, and they Great wrote, group. Yeah, and he's involved in those people too. We stole it from them. So... <laughs> And uh, did an amazing uh, response to that, hired uh, people to help them with that. And uh, so all the comments that got made about the draft environmental impact statement have to be addressed in the final environmental impact statement by TxDOT with what they're going to do about what people commented on. Okay. So the final environmental impact statement is, I haven't counted it because it's just, you know, appendices and... uh, just a nightmare yeah technical reports and fact sheets and oh it's just awful um and that once and then that gets certified the final environmental impact statement gets certified by TxDOT isn't that fun jeez (laughs) and then they get what called a record of decision and then they can actually start acquiring property by eminent domain if they need to and uh, start digging and taking things down. So they gave us 30 days. They finally gave us an extension of another 30 days. And when we spoke at the Texas Transportation Commission, we asked for another 100. We asked for another 60 days for a total of 120. Yeah. Because I think it was Michael Skelly at Make I-45 Batter Coalition said that a college student could... You do 11 pages a day of that content mm-hmm. and actually absorb it. And uh, we were given 30 days to do it in. So they, th- and so when they do things like that, basically what they're telling you is they don't want you to look at it. No, definitely. Uh, they don't want you to have the time to really thoroughly understand that there's a lot of faults in the document. It is inaccessible to the people it's affecting. However, we've had some yes. assistance, and we have to talk a- about that. We have to say that um, the city of Houston, using some of Houston Endowment Fund's money, hired Hewlett Zollers and Christoph Spieler uh, and University of 
University of Houston Design Center to actually do some real community engagement back in the It was fall, about January of this year. January of this year. They actually did some real community engagement. They actually like asked people what they wanted and they wrote it down. <laughs> oh, that's real community engagement. Right. <laughs> and they actually, uh, you know, were, you had people at every table that weren't leading the conversation uh-huh. uh, and heading it where they wanted it to go. They were actually letting the people at the table lead the conversation and ask the questions and talk about that. That's nice. And they came up with some alternative designs to this freeway. They got Mayor Turner to agree to one that didn't increase the right of way and actually had real transit incorporated within the design of the freeway. It wasn't perfect, especially for downtown, but for segments one and two, which is between uh, I-10 to the Beltway, it was uh, had lots of benefits for those communities. Mm-hmm. And, and then when the final EIS came out, Mayor Turner sent a letter to Commissioner Ryan, Lena Hidalgo did as well, our county judge, and asked for all of those specific things to be included. Mm -hmm. And none of it is in the final, well, I'm not gonna say none, there probably is a few things in there, is in the final environmental impact statement. So Hewlett Zollers was hired by the Harris County and they are helping everybody respond to the FEIS in a manner that actually Textile will have to pay attention to. So we've had a lot of support in that area and really have to give a shout out to the Houston Endowment Fund for caring enough to do that Mm -hmm. and for Lena Hidalgo picking up some of the funding when it ran out uh, to continue this forward at least through January. Yeah. And so we've had some help with that and so we're writing our responses now. We're also going to, we have an event on a week from today, Mm -hmm. and we're going to be giving people the opportunity to uh, sign off on FEIS comments, Um, and we're thinking about doing a petition, but we haven't quite figured out who our target is going to be for that petition, so we have to, so we're working on that now. Now, will will it make any difference? We don't know, so we're looking to start targeting the people at the federal level who could keep them from self-certifying their own um, FEIS because it's kind of crazy that they can certify their own FEIS. Yeah, right. And and there's people at the federal level, one of them, Sheila Jackson Lee, that would probably stop the funding for this project if we could give her, give enough support for the grassroots. So. Yeah. We're not done yet. Not done yet. No, <laughs> there's still a long way to go. Do you have uh, any other challenges to add to that? Um, challenges. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's all we have. So yeah, I think, so I, think I think that's most of what this is. is yeah. Challenge. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. That. That's. Yeah. Um, I, I'll say just something I've heard that I, I think is interesting is, um, you know, TxDOT keeps repeating these, um, I, I call them non-truths maybe, in their um, final environmental impact statement. And one of them is that uh, people, you know, that, that, that there's a, a demand for freight movement along this I-45 corridor, like through downtown. And uh, that there, there's going to be trucks needing to get th- through. And, um, and you know, the, there was a study that came out by, uh, also by TxDOT, by a, a 
supposedly, I, I would assume a different branch of TxDOT recently on truck mobility in Houston that revealed that no, in fact, there's very few uh, semi trucks, you know, crossing uh, through our region. They tend to avoid Houston because it is congested and because there is traffic. And if, you know, if they're uh, taking a long route, uh, they will take a freeway that avoids our region as much as possible, right? Or a, a, di- a different highway route. So um, uh, that's that's a, a challenge is uh, getting, you know, just getting them to it, admit <laughs> when the data doesn't support what they're saying. Right. Um, I'll say another one is the growth models. Um, mm-hmm. They They are claiming that Houston is going to continue to grow in a totally sprawling here it is again a sprawling way um that uh the counties around houston are, are, are around harris county are going to grow just as fast as harris county um and that hasn't really been supported by recent trends and uh we think it's 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 very unlikely there's there's not a city that is so decentralized uh in anywhere and it would be shocking if we were able to get there by building freeways like like this one. Uh, I don't I don't think it's in the cards. So uh, we want them to to do a a different kind of population uh, growth map um, that you know is is sort of conditional on what kind of infrastructure they build because it is largely decided by do we build rail lines or do we build freeways. We get different. Uh, population growth maps as, as those outcomes. So we want them to be a little bit more uh, tech savvy, I guess, in their approach to producing these maps of population growth. Right. Do you think that um, maybe they're like purposefully manipulating data to say what they want? I, uh, mm. I, yeah, sure. Of you course. Sure. <laughs> I, yeah. think, <laughs> I think they are. They are. <laughs> yep. And because uh, they, you know, you know, it's always, I, you know, I worked in uh, clinical research as a nurse, and it's always really easy to decide what you want your data to look like. Right, it is. And uh, if, if you want, you know, if you want to prove one thing, then you look at certain things and you don't look at others. And so it's. Uh, so they're definitely not given the whole story. No, and I think they choose to believe that because. Um, you know, this is their job, right? This is what they've been told to do. Yeah. Um, this is what they're not allowed to spend uh, highway tax funds on transit. It's actually a constitutional amendment that they can't do that. Texas Constitution. Yes. So, what? yes. <laughs> so it's built into the system. There's only certain, they can do some workarounds and kind of sort of support transit. Like, they can build the freeway so that Metro can, you know, maybe put, come back in and put in rail or whatever. But they can't actually build a, a right light rail line. They can't do it. And so our metros are dependent on bond elections and those kind of things to be able to fund projects in, this, in Harris County and I think actually the whole state. Right. So there's some problems with, um, you know, with how it's structured. And uh, so much of our vote, a lot in the in the state in the state of Texas, comes from West Texas, East Texas. Those people live far away from everything. They drive. Right. They're you know. the ones that need the freeways. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it gets 
silted towards that. And then even in the Houston-Galveston area council, there's an equity because Houston has 60% of the population of all of the counties that are represented in the Houston-Galveston area county, but we only have 40% of the representation. Mm. So we're underrepresented on the Houston-Galveston area council when you look at all the outlying counties because they can actually decide. The outlying counties can decide what transit's gonna, transportation is going to look like in the city of Houston when they don't live here. Wow. Yeah, that's it. That's and it. <laughs> I'll say the mayor of Sugarland, <laughs> Mayor yeah. Joe Zimmerman, uh, shout out to you. You've been a challenge. <laughs> a real challenge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has not been pro-public transit at all, uh, which is a little strange because uh, I think a lot of residents of Sugarland would uh, feel that they were getting a better quality of life if they could take a rail line to, to downtown Houston. I know exactly mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. um like uh growing up in uh some of my childhood in Mexico like the suburbs were you could you could get to downtown through the the mm-hmm. metro like through right. the through the bus line and like it wasn't like you just walk and then go and then boom you're on the bus like I just I don't understand right. I mean I understand I get why they're doing the things that they do but I wish they wouldn't <laughs> You know, right. a lot of I watch a lot of BBC stuff, and because uh, I just I guess I like the sense of humor of people in the UK. But anyway, and you know, they go get on the train and go to places. It's just like oh, oh, I go get on the train and I go to this other city. Wow. Well, and, and, and around around the states too, we mm-hmm. have people who are using public transit in other cities. Um, I mean, Texas is Texas is. I, I, wanna, I don't know if it's the only state, but it's certainly the biggest state by a large mm-hmm. margin that does not spend any state money on public transit. Uh, and that's weird. Like, why? Why Why are we in this situation? Communist hippies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the red scare, I guess. I guess so. Uh, uh, yeah, so we... <laughs> Go vote if you haven't voted. Yes, please vote. <laughs> vote please on vote. November 3rd. Just vote. I don't care what you vote for, but just vote, please. Uh, yeah, well, I think that speaks to, I guess, you know, talking about that voter suppression, right? Like, oh, if yeah. you don't have, you know, the means to get to the place, how are you going to vote? And that's just another another layer, right? Right. Um, God. Yeah, turnout in my neighborhood is, well, not my particular neighborhood, but the whole area of the near north side is very low and the latino turnout in all of the air all the areas of houston is low mm-hmm. and um i don't really know the answer as to why that is um because that's not the same for black communities mm-hmm so I'm not sure. I have to do a little could bit more work. Could be undocumented stuff. Like they don't it want to vote because be. they're undocumented. Or they're scared to get registered to vote in when they could be voting. But these are actually registered voters that are not going to the polls. Oh, okay. So they're not voting. They're not turning out. And that's what I was doing this morning uh, was just dropping just Spanish off. literature, please encouraging people to go vote. Yeah. And it's, you know, what was... Mine wasn't nonpartisan work, but there's a lot of nonpartisan work in the neighborhood. And so you just have to wonder, 
you know, is it still the same thing that they just don't think that it makes any difference whether they vote or they don't? I mean, yeah, I I definitely empathize with that. I yeah. was I was hesitant to vote, um, but you know, do I want fast fascism or do I want slow fascism? Mm-hmm. So I guess you know I opted for slow fascism. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I did enjoy voting down ballot. Um, Tiva and Natalia and Genesis. Um, but anyway, so do you guys have uh, any last things that you know you didn't get to touch on that you wish like ah uh, shit like if I could just add this one last bit? Do you have anything? Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about what we're going to be doing on uh, next Saturday. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we're going to, hopefully we'll have some elected officials there. We have a resident who is uh, going to be speaking. We have um, Kendra London will be speaking as well because the CBAs and these TERS are, are really a problem in the city of Houston. Um similar to freeways <laughs> yes and just and just not necessarily displacement but just um yeah and yeah. for uh those of you so uh for those of you listening on all real radio i do have a facebook live stream going on facebook.com slash sam the mullet and on my screen right now i have pulled up their flyer for next week it shows november 7th at 12 p.m and the address is 2101 south street 2101 South Street next Saturday, November 7th at 12 p.m. to protest the displacement of our communities and destruction of our green spaces. Right. That's right. And that is the White Oak Bayou. Uh, it's the the Bayou Park that's going to be impacted by the freeway is where mm-hmm. this is happening. And it's at the Baker Ripley Lionel Lionel Castillo Community Center, uh, once again at 2101 South Street. And we'll be behind the community center, kind of in the green space um, back there, because there's a hike and bike trail in the bayou and all that right behind there. And we'll be visible from I-45, <laughs> where yeah. we're going to be. And uh, and the we have an amazing view of downtown from near north side that will actually be gone once this freeway is built. Wow. It'll all be pylons and freeways and all that stuff. That, yeah. Um, which is disheartening and it's really sad, but but what's happening to people is just as just as bad. Yeah. And it's um I think the hard thing is that You know, people will say, well, why don't they, why don't people, why don't they care? And I'm like, wait a second, wait, wait, back up, back up, back up. You know, they're working, they may be working two to three jobs. Yeah. They've got children to take care of and to, right now, do virtual school with is really nuts. Yeah. And We're in a uh, pandemic. And they're, right. and then you want them to do what? what (laughs) and so you're like uh yeah you want them to rage against the machine right now like they're they're busy taking care of their kids (laughs) and the 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 
the will, it's almost a, it's not, it's just almost like a reflex to judge um, how other people don't show up when it's just impossible for them to do so. Right. But people can't see, well, I grew up with parents that couldn't see past their own little universe. Yeah, past their privilege. Right, they couldn't see past it. And so they couldn't understand why, if they had been able to come out up to middle class by working hard, why couldn't other people do that as well? And what people don't understand is that the black and brown community works a whole hell of a lot harder than we've ever had to work in our lives. Yeah. So much harder. And, um, and they just can't, you know, it just feels like, fighting the battle against textile. They just can't get there without things being very, very different than they are today. And I think that's the thing that I'd like to say. We have to be able to see outside of ourselves and we have to be able to go and talk to people. You've got to go knock on doors and talk to people to really and sit down and have conversations with people to really understand what it is that they are trying to what their lives look like, and what kind of help they need. Because we're always willing to help them, right? Yeah. But our help may more be more detrimental than, because it's not anything they need. They need some else. Like, you know, I'm going to give them flour, and they need shoes. I, I, it's just, in, it, and it just is so prevalent. It's just almost like a reflex for people to do that. Well, why can't they paint their house? Why can't they fix it up? Why can't they do this? Why can't they do that? And I'm like, well, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't do it either. Yeah, you, you would not be able to do it in their shoes, right? So that's so, my little soapbox. Um, <laughs> uh, how can people get involved with you guys? Like, the, if they're listening or watching, and they're like, "Oh shit, I need to get involved in some capacity." What's the best way for them to do that? Neil's amazing website, and then also we have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have Instagram. Um, yep. So the website is stoptextii45.com. That's stop, S-T-O-P-T-X-D-O-T-I-4-5.com. And uh, you can get on there and you can find our event calendar uh, to show up to one of our meet. Uh, we have weekly Tuesday meetings or bi-weekly, uh, every, bi-weekly. every other week every on other Tuesday. Week. We meet. And... Um, and you can sign up for our mailing list so that you learn about uh, what's going on with the project. And, uh, yeah, we come, come learn something. And, and, and uh, of course, you know, help, help contribute to this process. Help tell our leaders what it is that they're missing that, that they need to be doing for us. And we have lots of opportunities to do all kinds of things. You know, we have people that are willing to go out and knock on doors and talk to people. And we have people that are not comfortable doing that in the COVID world. Yeah. And, uh, but they can give public comment at meetings. They can write op-eds. They can uh, help with infrastructure things like, um, well, Neil does the website, but there's always something that needs to be done. Social mm-hmm. media needs to be done. All kinds of things need to be done. So um, we have people that... You know, Molly does the outreach and Neil does the 
website and other people show up because we need people that also have connections to elected officials. Right. People that know how to call Sheila Jackson Lee on the phone and have her cell phone and, you know, those kind of things because relationships are very, very important. And so if you um, but we're a good group to work with. We also think that we have to have some fun and we just can't do this stuff and it's been as challenging COVID because we have to meet on Zoom and do all that crazy stuff but we still get out and knock on doors and uh, which is one of the most fulfilling things I think that I do in this organization is go out and knock on doors and actually talk to people yeah yes it's really great talk to your neighbors yeah Yeah. (laughs) I'll be including all these links uh, to Air Alliance Houston to the uh, stop uh, text.i45.com and their mailing list and uh, tagging them on Facebook and Instagram. So um, all of that will be on facebook.com slash Sam the Mullet. And if you follow me on social media at Sam the Mullet, I will be tagging them on all the things. Um, so that's it. And for those of you listening who are just like, damn, you know, I wish I could help somehow. But again, I'm working two to three jobs. I have kids. I can't, I, I, I can't even breathe right now. That's totally understandable. The The main point that I'd really like you to take away is just that you're not alone in this and seeing all the freeway stuff happening and this giant oppressive system coming at you from every which way, you're just not alone. And there's power in information, right? Um, I kind of go back to what you're talking about, Susan, about how that, that uh, guy came to y'all's meeting and was like, why are y'all even doing this? Um, there's power in knowing that answer and there's power in spreading that information um, because the more aware that we are, the more likely we can fight back. And at some point, I don't know when, we're probably going to reach a critical mass, a critical, critical tipping point where it's like, okay, it's time to, it's time to fight, fight back. So that's all I got for you guys. Um, thank you Thanks for joining so much, me. Thanks so Sam. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. It was really lovely. It was great. Really great to meet you.